hello, funky listeners. Hello, hello, hello. Hi. Hi. <laughs> hey. This is your host, Kyle. <laughs> and this is your host, Peter. Hello and welcome to Funk Radio. Now, Kyle. Yes. In our last episode, we started doing a Motown quiz. And we had a great time with it. The only problem was that it was pretty long. Yeah, this quiz is like... I want to say like 40 questions. No joke. Something like that. You listeners can count them and tell us. (laughs) Um, But uh, we're going to continue and do the rest of this quiz now in this episode. Okay. Who was the first African-American group to get a crossover following? Now, this kind of goes back to what we were saying earlier about like how Motown really helped pave the way for all that. Yeah. Um, So was it the Supremes, the Four Tops, the Temptations, or the Jackson Five? I want to say it's the Temptations, but I don't know. I want to say, well, hmm, my gut is saying the Supremes. But it said earlier on that they 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 didn't get a lot of hits until later on. And I would assume that yeah. Motown would have had a crossover following by then. Before then, yeah. That's the only thing. The Jackson 5, maybe, but... That was one of the questions we actually got wrong by assuming that it was the first record to sell a million copies. I don't think it was them. I think I think some of these other groups were putting out hits for them. Yeah, I want to say it's the Temptations. I don't know why, but it's just a gut feeling. Uh, I'll follow you on that one. Oh, it was the Jackson 5. That's interesting. Uh, the Jackson 5 was initially made up of Gary Indiana Brothers, Jackie Tito, and Jermaine Jackson as the Jackson Brothers. Then Michael and Marlon joined later to become the Jackson 5. When they joined Motown, they had 16 top 40 hits on the Billboard 100 chart and four consecutive number one hits, a first for any group. Huh. Pretty impressive. Very impressive. Um, I would not have guessed that. I mean, we literally didn't guess that, I guess. but Yeah. Oh, that's funny. The next question uh, is regarding the Jackson 5. What production team helped produce the Jackson 5? Was it A, the company, B, the clan... <laughs> C, the corporation, or D, the society. All of those sound a bit creepy. What? Like, so this is like a production team? This doesn't sound familiar at all. I can almost guarantee you it's not the clan working for a largely black record label. It's clan with a C, not a K. It's fine. If that's right, I'm going to be so mad. I know, right? I almost want to do a hint on this. I don't even know what they... The corporation, the company, or the so- the society kind of sounds like it would be. What production team helped to produce the Jackson 5? Fuck if I know, man. Let's do a hint. It's the hint is the short name of this group would be... God damn it. Would be Corp. Okay, well then it's the corporation. God, I hate the hints on this thing. It's basically just like, here's the answer. You're stupid. Uh, made up of Barry Gordy, Alfonso Mazel, Francie Perrin, Deke Richards, and sometimes with Perrin's wife, Christine Yarian, the corporation wrote, produced, and arranged the Jackson 5 number one hit singles, I Want You Back, The Love You Save, and ABC. They replaced Holland Dozier Holland after they left in 1967 to form two record companies. In comparison to HDH, the corporation were more of an anonymous entity and worked together until 1972. Huh. Uh, I've never heard of them. That's Yeah, me neither. Very confused. Okay, well, we got it right, but mostly because it just handed us the well, answer. Be- the, yeah, the hint kind of makes it 
cheating. Yeah. What short-lived production team came together to create Love Child and I'm Living in Shame for for Diana Ross and the Supremes? Was it the corporation, the clan, the soul squad, or the company? Is this the corporation again? Yeah, that seems like a... No, hang on though, because I'm pretty sure Love Child was like a pretty early song for them. But it said they were short-lived and the corporation was around between 67 and 72. That's only five years. Well, but my guess... Oh, yeah. Let's just do the corporation because I, 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 the other ones all feel fake. What the hell? Oh, okay. <laughs> this is very the, confusing. The correct answer, listeners, was the clan. <laughs> when HDH left, there were big production shoes to fill and the clan, made up by Deke Richards who was also part of the corporation, Pam Sawyer, Frank Wilson, and R. Dean Taylor were up to the task, at least for those two Supreme sing- Supremes singles. They disbanded in 1969 with the corporation taking their place. So that's interesting. So H- so Holland Dozier Holland left after making a lot of hits. Then I guess they, they made the clan for a couple of songs and then they turned into the corporation. Yeah. That was weird, man. I would not have guessed that. I, I know nothing about like the production history of Motown, so these yeah. are these are tough. That's the kind of the part of the whole process that people don't really think about. True. Which soul group performed the million-selling single "Do You Love Me"? Was it A. The Spinners, B. The Marvelettes, C. The Shirelles, or D. The Contours? Ooh. Oh. Oh. I, I think this. it's the contours. I know. I'm pretty right? sure. Do you love me? Is that the song? Do you love yeah. me? Do you love Now that I can dance. Okay, so we know it's a guy group, so that eliminates the Shirelles and the Marvelettes, and I don't think it's the spinners. I'm pretty sure this, this is the contours. Yeah. This, I, to my knowledge, the spinners never covered that. Yeah, that's, it doesn't sound familiar. Okay, let's go with the contours. Yay! We're right says um, the Contours was a six-man group co-founded by Joe Billingsley and Billy Gordon, first as the Blenders. The song Do You Love Me was sung shouted by Billy Gordon, becoming a crossover hit on the Billboard Hot 100, reaching number three, after reaching number one on the Billboard R&B chart. This takes me back to, I think it was the college radio like predecessor to this podcast. Uh-huh. You know, for listeners who don't know, you know, it was a college radio show, but we, it was almost entirely just playing the songs. It was not much talking at all. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we went on, we started to incorporate more like fun facts about the songs yeah. um, into the show. And I see, <laughs> I seem to remember at some point we got fatigued because it was like every fun fact <laughs> that we could find about most songs was like, oh, it was number three on the yeah uh, on yeah. the r&b chart and we were like we need to find better facts about this song <laughs> i do i do remember I that like that. When, we would, when we would write out the facts like the only thing that we could come up with and the only thing that was apparently interesting about the song was oh it was number five on the billboard hot 100 oh it was number three on the r&b it's like no one gives a fuck about that <laughs> yeah it's pretty abstract but also I, I in hindsight i feel like we probably could have done more roundabout fun facts for that because we could have done it about like the group in general yeah yeah this is from an album that was such and such you know yeah very true i forgot about the whole thing but that yeah (laughs) that's funny to look back on 
I forgot about that too, but as soon as you just said that, I was like, oh yeah, I remember we kept getting annoyed because there wasn't enough fun facts. <laughs> uh, fun times. Very. Uh, which Motown singer sang the Vietnam War protest song, War? What is it good for? Was it Edwin Hawkins, Edwin Starr, David Ruffin, or Marvin Gaye? Edwin Starr. Yeah, I agree. Born Charles Edwin Hatcher, Edwin Starr joined Motown when his label, Rick Tick, was purchased by Barry Gordy. The Temptations had recorded War first. That's interesting. But because of its anti-war stance, there was there was some controversy for the group to release the record. So Starr volunteered to record it. The signature song of Starr shot to number one position on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. I can't say that with a straight face now. Um, and sat there for three weeks in 1970 and has been a, lo- a lasting influence in popular culture. Mm-hmm. I think that's an interesting part of... not. It, not even Motown specifically, but there are a lot of cases of that where someone tries recording a song first, uh-huh. and like even if they're like a popular group, it's like and eh, it doesn't really work, and then they give it to someone else, and then it becomes like a huge thing. Well, Barry Gordy was notorious for that. A lot of a lot of artists at Motown, especially as the war started becoming very unpopular, um, and obviously the civil rights movement and what have you, uh, a lot of artists wanted to write songs about that and speak out about that and initially Barry Gordy was really hesitant because you know they had spent the last five or six years quote-unquote crossing over and they didn't want to rock the boat by you know criticizing white America basically (laughs) or criticizing the government and I remember specifically Marvin Gaye and him like basically had it out because Marvin Gaye wanted to you know, record meaningful songs that weren't just, you know, do yeah, do up yeah, yeah, hits. Yeah. And Barry Gordy was like, no. So I think, I think that was when Marvin Gaye moved to like L.A. and basically he was still kind of, sort of part of Motown, but he, he kind of just like went, oh, I, all went of through. Motown moved to L.A., didn't they? Oh yeah, I about that. in the early seventies they did. Yeah, but I don't know something something about I remember Marvin Gaye kind of went rogue and was just like, fine, I'll do it myself. When they finally let him do, um, let's get it on. Not, not let's get it on. Um, what's going on? Uh, I, what year was that though? That was seventy one, seventy three. Let's find out. Seventy one. Yeah. Yes. So, yeah, I forgot that he had been trying to do that for a while, and they wouldn't let him. But then I think finally he got a chance, and of course mm-hmm. that album is like legendary. That album, yeah, it's probably one of the most famous albums to ever come out of soul music. Yeah. Good shit. Yay. Okay, well, we got that right. What Motown producer was known to help shape the Motown sound and psychedelic soul? Interesting. Was it Norman Whitfeld? Was it Dusty Springfield? Barry Gordy? Or John Landau? Psychedelic soul. Fuck, I haven't thought about that in a long time. I know, right? Norman Whitfeld is familiar. Who was he from? I don't know. (laughs) But his name sounds familiar. Uh, you know, he was. I think he might have been one of those songwriting guys. Yeah, exactly. Right. Um, I'm. It's not Dusty Springfield. He might have been the producer on a lot of like the Temptation stuff. Norman Woodfield. Yeah. Yeah. Which they did, I think, do a little bit of psychedelic. Probably mm. not Barry Gordy, because I don't know how much like direct influence he had. Yeah. I want to say it was Norman Whitfield. Yeah, because I I feel like the temptations. I don't do any more hints because their hints suck. Yeah. So let's just yeah. Uh, let's say Norman Whitfield. 
Yay. Right. Norman Jesse Whitfield was a Motown producer and songwriter who did a lot of innovative experimental work that could could be seen as the roots of psychedelic soul or black rock. I don't know if I've heard of that. Examples of this genre of music are his are in his work with the Temptations, with songs like Papa Was a Rolling Stone, Ball of Confusion, and he also produced the the song War. Um okay, okay. well hell, we we kind of dug right. around and got that yeah. one right, I guess. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, next question. What soul singer is best known for his work with The Temptations? Is it A, David Ruffin, B, Stevie Wonder, C, Barrett Strong, or D, Gil Askey? I want to say it's David Ruffin. Yeah, same. Because I, cause I think we at some point before we were saying, oh, who is he again? But I believe he was originally. Yeah. Or, Largely just from the Temptations. Yeah, let's say that. Yay! Born David Eli Ruffin. David Ruffin literally helped build to build Motown. He lived with Barry Gordy's father and did construction work on the Hitsville, USA building. Oh, interesting. He became a founding member of the Temptations in 1964 and is a part of the Classic Five before his departure in 1968. Ruffin created... The four-headed microphone, which helped the Temptations and other groups sing together and dance without sharing one microphone. Interesting. That's another thing you see with, again, like Motown specifically, is like they, there were so many stories of like, this person started as a secretary and it became like a hit singer. This person mm-hmm. helped fucking build the building and then he became part of one of like the most famous you know groups of all time you know what i mean yeah um, it's, it was almost like everyone who was like somewhat involved in this sphere of what was going on like almost had their own chance at something you know yeah sort of interesting very interesting um who performs motown's first hit single money that's what i want was it rick james barry gordy david ruffin or barrett strong pretty sure it's barrett strong uh, this is actually yeah. the only song I know by Barrett Strong. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, he's he's not he's. I want to say he's a one-hit wonder, but he's not as big, I guess, as some of the other acts in Motown. Barrett Strong recorded "Money" on Tamla Records, selling over a million records. Uh, he became a Motown lyricist, pairing up with producer Norman Whitfield. Yeah, I didn't know that. Did I say that question? Is it your turn? I don't, uh, I don't remember. Um, all right. Who was Diana Ross's musical director for 10 years and a key creator of the Motown sound? Gil Askey, Harvey Fuqua, Marvin Gaye, or Billy Eckstein? I don't know. It's not Marvin Gaye, I'm pretty sure. <laughs> but who knows? Could be Harvey Fuqua. Um, that's kind of a guess, though. All of these would be guesses for me. I don't know the other three at all. I don't want to do a hint, though. I'd rather no. guess than be the told. Hint the would answer. be like his name rhymes with Puqua. <laughs> God, I'm gonna guess. Do you want to guess him? Yeah, let's do it. Just because. Dang it! Oh, it's Gil Askey. Okay, Gil Askey was a Motown arranger, producer, and songwriter, working with groups and artists such as The Temptations, Gladys Knight, Stevie Wonder, and The Supremes. Before his time at Motown, he was a jazz trumpeter for nearly a quarter century, working with jazz greats like Count Basie, Miles Davis, Duke Ellington, and Dizzy Gillespie. 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 I can't talk. Um, okay. His name's weird. Yeah, I don't. I, I don't know the guy at all. It's. It's. Yeah. 
Well, it, uh, this this goes to show that I feel like for the most part, the ones that we're getting wrong are like the producers, which we never really covered. It's kind of true. We kind of haven't. If if we ever were to like come back and do more like Motown history, like I feel like we almost should do like that kind of stuff because we never really covered that before. I'm gonna write that down. I'll I'll write it down. You can read the next one. Next question. What Motown group's members acted as chauffeurs, chaperones, and road managers for their label mates? Was it A, the Velvetettes, B, the Supremes, C, the Spinners, or D, Martha and the Vandellas? So it's kind of like you were saying before, a lot of the people at Motown kind of pulled double duty doing other things besides just singing. Well, in a way, it was kind of like a family, because, yeah. like, it was kind of like, hey, or like a startup or something, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, exactly. That's no one is, like, tied to just one job, like, exactly. everybody was wearing multiple hats. Exactly. Um, I, uh, If they're doing, like, chauffeurs, chaperones, and road managers, uh, not to be sexist, but would they give that job to women back then? Well, that kind of crossed my mind, too. Not as, like, oh, they can't do it, but just, like, they wouldn't give sign that job the, to, Sign like, of the times, yeah. But they're all they're all girl groups except for the spinners. That's what I'm saying. That's why I'm like, does that eliminate all of them? Because were they Motown though? I, they must have been because they're coming up in this quiz. I just don't remember. Let me see. Were the spinners Motown? Nope, they're Detroit spinners Motowns. Detroit. Ah, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, we might be going somewhere though with with the with the men versus women doing this sort of work. Mm-hmm. I can't really picture them making a girl group do that stuff. But it's possible that they did. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't know. I want to say the spinners just because I think there's the spinners. sexism back then. Yeah. Yay. During the first few years of the spinners' existence, the R&B group had some hits. Like, that's what girls are made for. I'll always love you and truly yours. But Motown was Hitsville, USA. So until they switched over to the VIP label, the spinners were doing more support work for Motown. In the 1970s, the Spinners had more success after they left Motown at Aretha Franklin's suggestion. Oh, okay. So maybe that's why I don't remember them as being at Motown, because they oh, their hits yeah. were really in like the early 70s. Yeah. If yeah. I remember right. And uh, they were got interesting. Good to know. In the 1960s, what was the name of the Motown female session singing group? Oh. The Andantes? Uh, the Isley Brothers, the Vandellas, or the Marvelettes? Well, it's not the Isley Brothers. <laughs> it's either the Vandellas or the Marvelettes, because I've never heard of the Andantes. It could be, though, them, like, if they were only ever, like, backing vocals. Yeah, on the I, I see thing. what you're saying. I see what you're saying. The only reason I would say maybe it's the Vandellas is because we, we were talking earlier about Martha Reeve and the Vandellas and how she started off really early on as a secretary. Uh, and she remember she filled it said she filled in for someone else, but maybe the Vandellas were like the kind of backing vocal group early on. I don't know. That's the thing because it could be any of them. Honestly, I don't know. I don't want to do a hint though because it's gonna be it's gonna be a gimme again. They're all, always gimmies. The Mar so the Marvelettes they were earlier were they the ones who did they were they were Please the ones Mr. that Postman yeah they did Please Mister Postman they were kind of their own thing pretty early on what was the name of the moat so if there were session group now now mm. i'm thinking you're right maybe it's the andantes because i never heard of them but we heard of the funk brothers maybe that's because they're men though 
Maybe. I don't know, man. I'm stumped. Let's do the Andantes just to throw them a bit of love. Oh, since shit. we've never heard of them. Oh, it was right. <laughs> Marlene Burrow, Lovin Demps, and Jackie Hicks made up the 1960s version of the Andantes, who sang background vocals on a plethora of Motown songs. They sang on records for The Four Tops, Ice Brothers, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, Supremes, and Mary Wells, hmm. among others. Just like the Funk Brothers, the Andantes were a core component of the Motown sound. Wow, we are really sexist. Because uh, we were basically just saying, oh, we probably never heard of them because they're women. Well, I mean, but that's not our fault, though. No, 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 <laughs> like, no, no, no. <laughs> partially, the reason I've heard of the Funk Brothers is because there was that documentary. True. Yeah, they should make a documentary of the Andantes. So I wonder why this other group isn't, like, considered part of that. I don't know. Yeah. Like, was weird. that a sexist thing or was that just... I don't know. I don't know. That's weird. Yeah. I want. I just want to write that down just to be like, do more research into that. Maybe there's... Maybe it's something worth talking about. What quartet was first known as the Four Ames? Was it the Temptations, the Funk Brothers, the Ronettes, or the Four Tops? I want to say the Four Tops just because, you know... There's four of them. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, the Funk Brothers was too big. Temptations had five originally. Mm-hmm. I don't know who the Ronettes are. Ronettes. Who's the Ronettes? Uh, they were a girl group. I don't even know if they were part of Motown, but I've. I want to say I've heard them. I don't want to look them up because I don't know if that's going to give me an answer or not. But it's probably the Four Tops. I think you're right. Uh, it just it seems too easy, but you know, yeah. a lot of the times the, what we think is too easy is right. Yay, we were right. The Four Tops had a notable sound with Levi Stubbs, the lead singer with a baritone voice. The Motown production team, Holland Dozier Holland, worked closely with The Four Tops and gave them two big number one hits on the Billboard Hot 100. I Can't Help Myself and Reach Out, I'll Be There, both of which are good songs. Yes. What 1976... Oh, we're getting late now. What 1976 disco hit was meant to be a song for Dan Ross, but was sung by Thelma Houston? Love Hangover, Rhythm of the Night, Today Will Soon Be Yesterday, or Don't Leave Me This Way. The only one I recognize from that entire list is Rhythm of the Night, so... Who sang Rhythm of the Night? I think it's Thelma Houston. Oh, that's probably it then. Love Hangover and Don't Leave Me This Way were both Diana Ross songs. Okay. And this imp- this implies that she did not sing it. Exactly. So it's either Rhythm of the it's Night gotta, or... I, let's do Rhythm of the Night, because okay. I'll go with you on that. Dang it. Oh, um, really? I know. It was Don't Leave Me This Way. Um, it was first recorded by Harold Melvin and the Blue Notes. Hmm. Maybe that's who originally did it. Oh. I mean, it is, but I just forgot about that. Yeah. Wow. Which f- featured Teddy Pendergrass. and Man, I forgot about them and about him. Right. Which featured Teddy Pendergrass as the lead vocalist which garnered hits in the UK and on the US disco chart. But Houston's Virgin took the world by storm, reaching the top of the soul chart and was then... It's just stuff about charts, listeners. <laughs> That's interesting. I didn't know that one. Okay, this next one's actually going to be another tricky tricky one, I think. Uh, it says, What R&B and soul group is known for their disco hit Down to Love Town? Is it A, The Spinners, B, The Originals, C, the Marvelettes, or D, the Carpenters? This is one I actually know. Really? (laughs) 
I know that song, and it's by the originals, but I don't know if it was like a big song. I just know that song. <laughs> Says it was a disco hit. Okay, uh, I'll trust yeah. your judgment. That's like early disco, I think. And you are right. The originals were the male version of the Andantes. Oh, that's interesting. Uh-oh. Singing background vocals for numerous Motown artists, including Jimmy Ruffin, Stevie Wonder, Marvin Gaye, and Edwin Starr. But they also had their own original music, hit songs like The Bells and Baby I'm For Real. That sounds familiar. Co-written and produced by Marvin Gaye. Down to Love Town was a 1976 number one disco hit. Hmm. I uh, I didn't know that about them. That's just in general about their like role in Motown. Yeah, that's interesting. Hmm. Next question. Um, what funk star first signed on to Motown with his rock band, the Minor Birds? Was it A, Rick James, B, Billy Eckstein, C, Chuck Jackson, or D, Jimmy Ruffin? pretty sure it's rick james but i'm not sure i don't recognize chuck jackson or billy eckstein and we know it's not jimmy ruffin yeah let's say rick james. he was part of temptations it was rick james uh born james ambrose johnson jr jesus it's a pretty cool name rick james was a genre-defying singer songwriter and producer he went solo in 1978 with his album come get it he is best known for his funk crossover hit Super Freak, which was number 16 in the Billboard Hot 100 1981. I feel okay. like they really quickly went into like the later stuff. With yeah, this. it's like these last handful of questions just, just like, fuck it, 70s, 80s. Yeah. Uh, what soul singer went by the nickname Lady T? Was it Tammy Terrell, Cyrita Wright, Tina Marie, or Tina Turner? Oh. I don't think it's Tammy Terrell. Um, I'm pretty sure it's Tina Marie because she did at least one, if not multiple songs with Rick James. Okay. And I'm pretty sure I remember him calling her Lady T. I will trust you. And it was right to trust you. Uh, it says here, born Mary Christine Brockert, Tina Marie hailed from the sunny, sunny Southern California, where as a child she loved singing Motown songs. Rick James chose to produce her over Diana Ross after she was signed onto the label in 1976. Her soulful voice had many believing that she was an African-American until she was on Soul Train in 1979. I forgot about that. Yeah, because people didn't see her for a long time, but they heard her and they were like, wow, she's really good. And they just assumed she was black Mm -hmm. um, because of her singing style, I guess. That's pretty funny. That is funny. Uh, what soul singer had the top 10 hit, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted? Was it Jimmy Ruffin, Smokey Robinson, David Ruffin, or Tammy Terrell? It's one of the Ruffins, but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know which. Shit. Jimmy Ruffin or David? I want to say David Ruffin. David Ruffin sounds more familiar as, like, he did solo stuff. Right? So I'm going to go with you on that one. I'm pretty sure that's right. Okay. Dang it. It was the other one. Oh, it was Jimmy, huh? Yeah. Okay. It says here, Jimmy Ruffin is the older brother of lead singer of The Temptations, David Ruffin. Ruffin was a Motown session singer before he broke out with his hit, What Becomes of the Brokenhearted, a song originally written for The Spinners. Hmm. The song hit number seven on the Billboard Hot 100, number six on the R&B chart. Okay. Good to know. They did they each do their own solo stuff though? They did, but I think Jimmy's solo stuff was kind of more successful. David Ruffin 
outside of the Temptations had more success in songwriting and producing and stuff. Oh, what was that song he did? Ooh, David Ruffin or Jimmy Ruffin? David. Um, Walk Away From Love. That's the song I was thinking of. Yeah. He did that one. Uh, he also did Put A Little Love In Your Heart. I've Got A Need For You. So I guess they both did stuff, but I was just thinking of the wrong guy. Yeah. I mean, they have the same last name. It's almost like they're brothers or something. <laughs> what singer was known for her soulful duets with Marvin Gaye? I think we mentioned this at some point earlier. Uh, <laughs> Thelma Houston, Tina Marie, Diana Ross, or Tammy Terrell? It's Tammy Terrell. Born Thomasina Win- Winifred Montgomery, Tammy Terrell. Jesus. Oh, yeah. Tammy Terrell was a, a terrific talent um, whose life was tragically cut short. I forgot about that. Um, mm. Didn't she? Uh, she died of a brain can- brain tumor or something or brain yeah, cancer. Yeah, and that was super sad. And she was like in her early 20s or something. That's what fucked up Marvin Gaye. Yeah. Where she died, he went crazy, and then he wrote Sexual Healing. Interesting. Or Let's Get It On, whatever. Yeah. But uh, who had a rather long career for almost 25 years. Yeah, so she was in her 20s and that happened. That was super sad. Um, she started her singing career as a teenager and had hits with her duets with Marvin Gaye, including You're All I Need to Get By, Ain't No Mountain High Enough, and Ain't Nothing Like the Real Thing. She died a month before her 25th birthday from brain cancer, and her death profoundly affected Marvin Gaye, who most likely wrote the album What's Going On in response to her death. Boom. Which is interesting because, like, ostensibly what's going on is, like, very much about, like, the political slash war state of things in America at the time. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting that it was also his emotions were spurred on by her death too. Yeah. It put him in a dark place, you know? Yeah. So he kind of, you know, had pessimistic thoughts about not only her death, but the state of the country <laughs> as a whole. It's, it's weird when you have situations like that though, because like, obviously it was like tragic that she died. I mean, at all, but also just like at that young age, you know, Mm-hmm. but then you I guess you see him kind of turning that around into something that artistically was at the time and is like really impactful musically speaking and so yeah. it's just interesting to see like the, the I feel like that happens a lot with artists things things that they put out into the world that are very deep and emotional that resonate with a lot of people end up coming from really personal experiences yeah. you know rather than just general yeah what's the word melancholy yeah so like obvious like no one would ever say that it's a good thing that she died when she did but it's just interesting to think about the alternate history of if she hadn't like i can guess that he probably still would have made the the album what's going on but how different would it have been you know it's just interesting to think about that stuff yeah she died in 1970 at the age of 24 and you know that was already at the height of, you know, the Vietnam War being terrible. Mm-hmm. Just two years prior, you know, uh, uh, Martin Luther King was assassinated. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the world wasn't in a good place then. So we're on to our last question, listeners. <laughs> what soul R&B group had a nearly 40-year run and had their biggest Motown hit, neither one of us want to be the first to say goodbye? Was it mm-hmm. Sly and the Family Stone, Diana Ross and the Supremes, Gladys Knight and the Pips, or the Originals. Either one of us want to be the first to say. I, I want to say it's Gladys Knight and the Pips. I forgot about them. Either actually, them. I know, right? Wait, wait. Had a nearly forty-year run, 
and had their biggest Motown hit. So it's probably, it can't be Diana Ross and the Supremes because they had bigger no. hits than that. Sly and the Family Stone, I don't think, have been around for 40 years. I think it's Gladys Knight. Yeah, I think it is. Yay! Hailing from Atlanta, Georgia, Gladys Knight and the Pips had some moderate success, but Gladys Knight felt that her group played second fiddle to more popular acts such as Marvin Gaye, The Temptations, and The Supremes. The group was able to take at least one scrap before they left for Buddha Records. Neither one of us wants to be the first to say goodbye was a Grammy-winning performance, winning Best Pop Performance by a duo uh, in 1973. So this is a hit that they had success with at Motown, but then quickly after left Motown for a different record label. So Buddha Records. They didn't want to be the first to say goodbye to Motown, but whatever. Yeah, it's kind of it's isn't that kind of funny that their first song is kind of like a goodbye to Motown. Yeah. Well, let's see how many we got wrong. I didn't even bother counting all these. It says our score was 80%. You're a true expert. You got 28 out of 35. You scored better than 80% of quiz takers. Interesting. Cool. It felt like a lot more than 35 questions. I'll be I honest. Know, right? I thought it was like 50. I'm like, I'm like, this has to be like 40 questions at least. That was a really good quiz though. I like that a lot. Yeah. Yeah, it was. That was fun. Something I like about these quizzes too is that they do have the fun facts of like explaining why the answer is correct, you know? Yeah. I think that helps a lot with like making this an interesting thing to do. I agree. All right. Well, that wraps up this long ass quiz. Uh, I'm really glad we did it though. This is a good one. Yeah. Oh, I guess we forgot to mention on this episode. Uh, this was the How Much Do You Know About Motown quiz on HowStuffWorks.com. Yes. And I'm actually impressed with how much we, we remember about Motown. Because yeah. w- when we did the funk bands quiz, I was like, yeah, we remember some stuff, but we're kind of, you know, sketchy on a lot of it. But I feel like yeah. this was more focused, and I feel like we remembered a lot more from this. So my know, confidence is built up a little bit more this time. I almost wish this site did like a, I don't know, like a funk quiz or maybe some other quiz. I don't know. We should mm. see what other quizzes they have later on. Yeah. So yeah, um, if you enjoyed us d- doing this quiz semi-live, um, let us know if you want us to do any other quizzes. Um, tell us on Facebook. Where can they tell us on Facebook, Kyle? Facebook.com slash GetYourFunk. Uh, we also have all of our episodes on our our own website, GetYourFunk.com. Yeah. We should get on Spotify. Doesn't Spotify have podcasts? It does. I've never looked into it. I'm also low-key worried that they their algorithm would flag our episodes because they have music clips in them. But that's um, never happened with the other platforms, so maybe it's totally fine. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I mean, we usually play pretty pretty safe with that stuff. I mean, yeah. I don't think I don't think Barry Gordy's going to rise from the grave and be like, "You played 28 seconds of this song. Give me money." I don't know, man. 2020 has been a weird ass year. <laughs> yeah, too shy. Maybe that'll happen. Barry Gordy. Well, I'm I'm assuming Barry Gordy's dead, right? He is. I, I think he he's been dead actually. for a while, if I remember right. No, I thought he died recently. Oh God, he's not dead. Why? Why is no one dead? Oh shit, he's alive. <laughs> <laughs> God damn it, dude! Every episode. 
<laughs> the dude's 90 years old. I did not know he was still alive. Holy crap. He's old, though, yeah. Dang. Well, Mr. Gordy, I hope you're not listening, but if you are, hey, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for listening, everybody. Um, this has been your host, Peter. And this has been your host, Kyle. And you have been the listeners. Bye. Bye.